The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Good Night Maryland Radio with your host, Nina Bosky. It's been more than 50 years since the tragic death of one of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time and in history, Marilyn Monroe. Nina seeks to uncover the life and death of this legendary star as it coincides with the pre-production of the feature film, Good Night, Marilyn. You'll get a chance to question, explore, and discover the secrets surrounding what really happened that fateful night back in 1962. Let's start the conversation. Here is the host of Good Night, Marilyn Radio, Nina Bosky. Hi, everyone. I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Maryland Radio, and welcome to the show as we explore the investigation, the life, and the movie all surrounding Marilyn Monroe. We have a lot to cover today, and that's one of the reasons why we're doing this in a two-part series. We are covering the last day of Marilyn's life, part one and two, this week, and then next, next week, the confusion, the holes, the mystery. All right. So we've got a couple of shout outs. Thomas from Larissa, uh, Greece. I hope I'm uh, pronouncing that right. Janet from Lamedia, California. Russ from Fresno, California. Diane from Garland, Texas. Jade from Eastport, Maine. Jadu from Mumbai. I hope I'm saying that right. India. And uh, Brenda from Sydney, Australia. Hello, Good Night Maryland fans. As we are growing each and every day because of you in this story, we are shedding some great light on this mystery that has been plaguing many of us, especially when you start to look at the holes in this case. There are many. As I talk to more and more people who have been studying her for years, people who have theories on what happened to her, with all the misinformation that's out there, it really does become difficult to know what is fact from fiction, probable theory from outlandish rumor. So as we join the conversation today, it's going to be very dynamic and compelling. Um, But today I want to recap also what was outlined in last week's episode. So just in terms of miscommunication, I want to make sure that we're clear. The fact is from last week's episode that JFK had been documented as being at the same place at the same time four official times. It is probable, but not fact, that they could have had a one-night affair at Bing Crosby's house in Palm Springs back in the spring of 1962. It also is fact that all presidents, including JFK, have off-the-record meetings with people, not just women, not just encounters. So I'm not saying that he and Marilyn Monroe had more than one encounter, if at all, together. That's a probable theory, but it's not a fact that we know for sure that they had that one-night encounter. However, it is probable to say that if they did have that one encounter, they could have had others that we, the public, may never know about, okay? That's probable. Not outlandish rumor. I'm not saying that they slept together and had multiple affairs. We don't even know if they had one encounter, okay? And I say encounter. Also from last week's episode, we have 
come to find out that there isn't any facts really at all that I've heard so far supporting the notion that Marilyn Monroe and Bobby Kennedy had a sexual encounter. Not, there's, there's not any facts. And these, the, the experts that we have today can either clear that up or not clear that up, especially as we get into the last day of Marilyn's life. There's a lot of controversy around that, whether Bobby Kennedy was actually there that day, right? So, you know, one of the reasons why I want to share with you today why I'm doing this show and why this, you know, kind of started, because the radio show was birthed from when we were getting ready in terms of the pre-production for Marilyn, uh, Goodnight Marilyn, I was sitting there thinking to myself, you know, I don't really know specifically what happened to her the last day that she died, right? And, you know, it's it's just a very interesting thing um, because when you look at the last day that she died, what we did is I got a group of, of people in my office and we put together a board similar to what you see in uh, the police department, right? And we put out a timeline from 8 o'clock in the morning to 4.35 or 5.30 in the morning. And we took two, two books specifically. David Marshall, who's on with us today, is one of the guests. Uh, the DD Group, the online investigation, the book that really talks about uh, the d- online discussion and the different theories and facts regarding her case. And then we took Lois Banner's um, uh, the, the Passion and the Paradox. And we looked at the timeline we also looked at Jay Margolis's book, which is a little more sensationalized, and uh, you know, uh, it, it's it's uh, it's not as factual in the sense that he 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 has an agenda and he has a stating <laughs> of what he wants to achieve. So we took those two books, just those alone. We started to put in Jay's, and it just got very convoluted. There are so many different missing holes that I said to myself, "Oh my God." There is something going on here, right? So all these experts today have said the same thing themselves. Part of the reason for their reason for for wanting to to uh, explore Marilyn might be just who she is as as uh, she was in life, um, but some of it is the the unanswered questions. And so that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this radio show and to clear that up. And then when I asked myself the question, well, when was the last time this case was actually looked at? And it was thirty years ago. I said to myself, why hasn't this been explored in a more specific way? And so that's one of the reasons I wanted to let you in on why we're doing this radio show. There are holes, and the fact that 30 years ago, I think it was Assistant District Attorney Mike Carroll, who said that there wasn't any probable evidence of, of murder, okay, but he did not explore any further about what the cover-up is. So whether you think Marilyn committed suicide, whether you think it's accidental, whether you think uh, she was murdered or there was something sinister, the reality is, is there is definitely a cover-up. And that's what you're going to learn today. So I want everybody today to have an open mind, even the experts, uh, because as you have an open mind, we can learn something as we bring stuff to the table. This is the first time in radio history 
that this case is being explored in a, in a radio format. It's been done online. Uh, the experts that we have today, wonderful panel of experts. You've heard them on before. We have a first-time uh, expert with us. But joining us is licensed mental health counselor and best-selling author, author Gary Vitaco Robles, icon the life, the times, and films of Marilyn Monroe, volumes one and two. Immortal Marilyn's Mary Jane Gray will chime in with her research. She also authenticates Marilyn Monroe memorabilia. And David Marshall, first time with us, has taken, you know, took on quite the task of organizing and presenting a year's worth of online discussions based on Marilyn Monroe's last days in his book, The DD Group, an online investigation of Marilyn Monroe. If you have a question, I'm going to invite you to either email us or call us at MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com, MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com, or you can call in with a question. This is the time to do it, 866-472-5788. I want to have a healthy dialogue, and in order to do that, with all this new information that comes to us and we break it down, I'm excited because what we're doing is in our next set of radio shows, we're going to be ending our first 13 weeks on May 8th, which is next week, and then we're coming back live on May 29th with a whole set of 13 weeks of radio shows. And unlike this one, we're kind of testing it out for the first time, we will do what we're kind of doing today. Wherever we start, start and wherever we stop is where we're going to start the next radio show. So if we leave off in, uh, you know, uh, two weeks before Marilyn's death, and then we'll pick up exactly where we left off so you as the audience member can be unified in the in the discussion and can follow it along. So with that said, I'm excited to have everybody on the panel today. Thank you to Randall Libero, our executive producer, Mike Surgit, our engineer, and Drew Masters, our talent booker. You know I could not do this show without you. Also want to point out that June 1st, we are going to be having a wonderful press conference. Of course, all you Maryland fans know what June 1st is. It's Maryland's birthday. And we will be announcing the Goodnight Maryland's global search for Maryland, who's going to play the actress, who will actually make it to the next round of um, of auditions. And uh, that's where it starts to get more specific and we start to narrow it down if you think or you know somebody you think can play the role of Marilyn, which is not an easy task, right? You can't just look like her. You can't just impersonate her. You have to have the acting chops. Then please send it in to MarilynSearch at gmail.com. And uh, you too, you have until May 31st to be able to send in your your audition tape, your uh, resume, and biopic. So, as you can tell, there's a lot going on with Goodnight Marilyn. So, panel, welcome to the show. Gary, Mary Jane, and David, how are you? Great. Thank you, Nina. Great. Yes. So, as you know, there's a lot going on, and uh, I want to break it down, okay? Um, we have the last night or the day before, you know, Saturday, which is Friday, which would have been August 3rd. Um, David, I'm going to start with you. What was going on in Marilyn's d- demeanor, and what was she doing that last uh, that last Friday? Well, that last Friday, I think you have to keep in mind that she was. Uh, it, it's a week after the Calneva uh, 
period when she and uh, the Lofferts and others were in uh, Lake Tahoe at the Calneva. However, that, I mean, that's another topic. Uh, so by Friday, she's uh, in between projects. Uh, she has left 20th Century. She's still working to get the movie back on uh, schedule. That Friday was calm and quiet. Uh, the two main things that were going on is she did have a prescription of 25 Nembatol uh, pills delivered to the home and uh, was visiting with Pat Newcomb, her friend and publicist. And Pat was uh, suffering from bronchitis. They went out to dinner that evening, spent a nice evening, and Marilyn offered uh, to Pat, since she's not feeling well, spend the night at her house on Thessalina. She can spend the next day, Saturday afternoon, hanging out at the pool and, and getting better. All right. And so um, Mary Jane and Gary, Gary, let's, let's start with you. What do you have to add to that conversation in terms of the last day of, of, you know, not the last day, but the Friday before she died? Well, we know Patricia Newcomb spent the night with Marilyn. She had bronchitis. And uh, they had gone out to dinner, supposedly La Scala restaurant in Beverly Hills. And um, she awoke very late uh, in, uh, in the morning and had a good night's sleep. And some neighbors had heard a woman coughing in the backyard, so that was presumed to be Patricia Newcomb. It's probably important that we just cite that Robert Kennedy was with his wife and family in San Francisco. He was addressing the American Bar Association. And um, he left the next morning with his family to Gilroy, a little bit south of San Francisco, to the John Rates uh, Ranch, where there's photographs of the Kennedy family on horseback with their hosting family, the Bates. And we do have um, one surviving uh, witness to that, who is Joseph Tidings, who is the Attorney General of Maryland at the time. Okay, so 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 right now, what we've we are uncovering is that. Uh, and, and Mary Jane, is there anything you would like to add to this uh, in terms of what they've already covered so far? Um, well, I completely agree with David and Gary. I will say that a few years ago, um, one of Marilyn's former hairdressers came forth and tried to claim that on that Friday night she was flown by helicopter to the Calneva. Um, but that story is absolutely baseless because by all accounts, as Gary and David said, she was with Pat Newcomb who spent the night. They were seen out at dinner. It was a very low-key evening. And what uh, what would make them think that, you know, in terms of uh, stating something like that, it, there, is there any evidence at all that supports that or is that just something somebody said? It's just something somebody said. There's okay. absolutely no evidence to support it, but as usual, it got a lot of press at the time. Yeah, and and so that's part of what I want to do this with this show today, guys, and I think that's why it's so important because there's so much out there that is floating that is just, you know, uh, complete uh, nothing to be backed up. So what we do know is that she was with Pat Newcomb. We have people, and, and uh, you know, Gary had just said that she was at La Scala Restaurant, right? Pat Newcomb had a cold or bronchitis infection, right? And that night, though, and it kind of moves into the next day, there are rumors, whether it's true or not, that Marilyn was upset with Pat because Pat could sleep and she couldn't. Is that true or not true? I think that's a big part of what was going on the next morning. Uh, Marilyn 
according to the various books, got up like around nine or came out uh, into the kitchen around nine. Uh, however, Pat sleeps in until around noon. Uh, and you can understand that why, you know, Marilyn, even though she wants Pat over at the house, she, the reason for her to be there is to sleep and, and recover her health. But uh, for somebody who has such trouble sleeping, of course, she's going to be kind of pissed off that, you know, God damn it, you know, she's sleeping until noon and I wasn't able to sleep at all. So, yeah, I think that was part of the reason of the friction between the two in the following morning. Okay. Anything else, you guys, in terms you want to add to that uh, before we move on? Mary well, Jane? in looking at oh, Marilyn's mood, um, the fact that she she woke, she had a, a bad night's sleep, and she was somewhat irritable and cranky. And her housekeeper, Eunice Murray, who arrived at eight o'clock, said that she was rather quiet and not very lively that day. Um, there, there's another phone call that Marilyn makes um, probably in the late morning to Norman Rostin in New York, and his recollection of that phone call was that Marilyn was jumping from one subject to another and uh, almost sounded uh, a little uh, manic. Um, they were making plans to see a, a, um, a play together, and she kept making statements about, you know, we need to enjoy our lives, uh, have fun before we get old. So, you know, we begin to wonder, is her mood moving into maybe a hypomania, which the lack of sleep, the irritability, this um, manic speech might suggest? All right. And Mary Jane, anything you want to add to that? Um, again, the, uh, the Rostin phone call is funny. I was actually just uh, rereading that last night, and, you know, I concur with that assessment that she was kind of jumping from subject to subject, said a few things that in hindsight may have seemed unusual. Um, but we can only go by the accounts of the people who were there, and they don't always line up with one another, so we have to just kind of put the pieces together in the, in the best way we know how. Exactly. So I've got a, before we uh, take a, a break, we're only taking uh, several breaks this, this hour for this, this reason. Um, there is a rumor, and this is a rumor, Bobby Kennedy arrived via helicopter on the Fox lot that morning. Is that true? Do we have any, any, any facts to support that? David? I. Uh, I don't know if there are any facts to actually support it. However, that having said that, I wholeheartedly believe that that uh, was the second part of his trip down from Gilroy. I do believe that Robert Kennedy was in uh, Los Angeles and did visit Maryland that afternoon. All right. So, Mary Jane. Um, uh, you know how I am. I want to see proof of it. Mm-hmm. I think <laughs> I'm, I wouldn't rule out the possibility, but I'm not going to say it's, something that happened unless I see more than conjecture and speculation about it. All right. And Gary? Well, we know Gilroy was in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and the closest airstrip was an hour away in San Jose. So I I don't know if that makes for um, helicopter um, transportation. But we do know Sunday morning on August 5th, he attends Mass, according to the Gilroy Dispatch. Okay. All right, we're going to take a quick break, okay? We're going to get back and we're going to move into that that day and get more specific in who was she talking to, who was actually there at the house that day, what happens after Pat Newcomb 
awakes. On that note, you are discussing the last day of Marilyn Monroe's life, part one, with the panel, Mary Jane Gray, David Marshall, and Gary Vitaco Robles. We'll be back in just a moment. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Mad Genius Radio presents Marilyn. For those of us who can't get enough of Marilyn Monroe, especially her iconic musical performances, Mad Genius Radio has expertly curated a genre of hundreds of tracks performed by Marilyn and friends. It is the quintessential collection of music for a journey of glamour, grace, and allure. Listen for free only on Mad Genius Radio. Available in the App Store, Google Play, and desktop at madgeniusradio.com. Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support. You. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Goodnight Marilyn Radio. I'm Nina Bosky as we explore the last day of Marilyn Monroe's life. In part one, the confusion, the holes, the mystery. My guest today, Gary Vitaco Robles, Mary Jane Gray, and David Marshall, all talking about the timeline, the last 36 hours of Marilyn's life. Uh, Mary Jane, you always love, I love this. You started it. It was your idea talking about not just the quotes, but the misquotes of Marilyn. What, so what's today's uh, misquote? for Marilyn Monroe. All right. The first thing that's always important to remember when looking at a Marilyn quote is find the source. Real quotes always have sources. It'll be an interview, a a press conference, a vintage magazine, her writings. And a lot of the quotes that circulate have no source because they were made up and put on the Internet within the last 10 years. So today's fake quote is, Imperfection is beauty, madness is genius, and it's better to be absolutely ridiculous than absolutely boring. Now, this is a really, really popular quote, but once we kind of take it apart, it doesn't sound like Marilyn at all. As far (laughs) as imperfection is beauty, Marilyn was really well known as being a perfectionist. She would ask for a take after take on a movie set until she felt she got it just right. She refused to give her fans anything less than what she felt was her absolute best. She would... 
um, put her makeup on only to wash it all off and do it again. She'd take hours to get ready so that when she went to the public, she was perfect. Um, in a 1960 interview, she did say, my one desire is to do my best, the best that I can from the moment the camera starts until it stops. That moment I want to be perfect, as perfect as I can make it. That doesn't seem like somebody who would say imperfection is beauty. Yes. And as to the second part, madness is genius, that's even more unlikely because Marilyn's mother suffered from severe mental illness and Marilyn was traumatized by that as a child. And as an adult, one of her biggest fears was inheriting madness like her mother's. So with her first-hand account of what it really was and her fear of it, it's not really likely she would declare it genius. Okay. Wow. So another Marilyn misquote. I think these are wonderful to bring to light because as all of us, we're in the internet, we're, we're posting quotes. Certainly we have as, as Goodnight Marilyn prior to this radio show. So now it's really wonderful to have this come to light. So let's get back as we can to back to the timeline. The last day, August 4th, 1962, Marilyn awakes, she goes to the kitchen, and she starts to have more phone calls and people start to arrive at her house. Gary, who's calling her? Well, the first phone call is from her former father-in-law, Isidore Miller, who called from New York, and um, Eunice Murray had already arrived. She was dropped off um, by her mechanic who was working on her Dodge, and she told um, Mr. Miller that Marilyn was dressing, and then Norman Jeffries... um, Murray's son-in-law arrived and started working on the kitchen floor. And this is around the time, maybe 9 o'clock, that Ralph Roberts, Marilyn's very close friend in Missouri, calls and talks with Marilyn about grilling some steaks uh, poolside later in the evening. Now, Marilyn's Life magazine interview with Richard Merriman was on the newsstand, so some of the phone calls were congratulatory for uh, that interview. So um, Sidney Skolsky called. And um, Marilyn made some statement about perhaps going to the beach later in the day, which is possibly a reference to the Lawfords. And uh, in Skolsky's um, version, Marilyn indicates that Patricia Newcomb was somewhat jealous of her, um, but he doesn't provide any details. Then Marlon Brando calls. Okay. And then Lawrence Schiller arrives on his way to Palm Springs, and he had shot the something's got to give uh, nude swimming photographs. And Marilyn had given him permission to sell them to Playboy magazine and um, uh, profit by that and and buy a house for his his wife and and their child. So um, she was ambivalent, though, on this morning. She she was reconsidering um, letting those photographs go to press. But uh, this always struck me as interesting that on Monday morning when Schiller came back to his office in Los Angeles, he found the photos in an an envelope slid under the door with a note on it in Marilyn's handwriting stating, these are for Playboy. Wow. Then we know Agnes Flanagan, her hairdresser, um, uh, arrived and visited. And during this visit, a messenger delivered a package, and it was a stuffed tiger And according to Flanagan, when she's interviewed by uh, at least one biographer, she notices a change in Marilyn's demeanor. And I think possibly that the stuffed tiger is one of the two stuffed animals later photographed by the press scattered um, next to her pool. So so before you move on, Gary, is there anything, uh, Mary Jane or David, that you want to add to these calls right now? 
not so much. Go ahead, Mary Jane. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say not not to the calls. I mean, that's pretty well established. But I was going to say in regards to the stuffed animal that arrived, um, I believe if you if you look at photos of Marilyn taken with her dog by Eric Skipsey, you see very similar little stuffed animals. And um, I think it was Anthony Summers who fo- first. Yes. postulated that there was something ominous about the stuffed tiger arriving, um, but I've come to believe it was nothing more than a toy for the dog. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I agree with Mary Jane on this point. It is a tremendous story, and it has all kinds of drama behind it. In fact, uh, Joyce Carol Oates uses this story to open up her novel, Blonde, uh, having the messenger be deaf, who is, uh, then jumps on his bike and, and leaves the house. Uh, the problem with it is one of the things Mary Jane brought up that everybody who is interested in this case really needs to pay attention to is sources. Uh, the story starts out in Anthony Summers' book, and when you look at the sources, it doesn't come from uh, Agnes. It comes from another person that, unfortunately, I don't have it in front of me. Um, but another problem with it is when you look at the photos of these two stuffed animals out by the pool the following day, one of them looks to be a lamb, and it looks to be mm, pretty new, pretty good shape. There is a tiger further back in the picture, and it's pretty well chewed up. Uh, there's also a receipt for a toy tiger uh, made out to Maryland from the Vicente Pharmacy that's dated April 12, 1962, and others who have said that Maryland often bought little stuffed animals uh, for her dog, Moth, as dog chews, dog toys. Uh, and so I have a tendency not to totally believe uh, this story with Agnes Flanagan and the stuffed tiger. So in, in theory, this stuffed tiger, there's not a lot of, of substantiated facts that we can, it's all, again, conjecture. So let's, let's move on then, uh, Gary, continue down the, the timeline in terms of the conversation. Well, by the afternoon, um, Frank's nursery delivers some trees and shrubs and... Um, uh, the gentleman fixing Mrs. Murray's car delivers it, and she gives him a tour of the kitchen. And then, uh, I believe it's in Mrs. Murray's memoir, um, Marilyn asks a statement about, do we have oxygen? And um, I know oxygen is sometimes used to treat migraine headaches, but um, there's never been any more information about um, why she would ask this question and what it might mean. Does anybody, um, do, wait, 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 hold on one second, because that's an important point. D- David or Mary Jane, do you have anything to add to the oxygen? Because that is a strange thing to ask unless you, you know, or you're wanting to have more energy. I know in Vegas they pump you with, with oxygen just uh, to keep you awake. So what do you guys have to add to that? I can't say anything definitive about it. It is a very odd request. Uh, personally, I've always wondered if it was somehow in relation to Pat Newcomb's bronchitis. Interesting. That's a good okay. point. That's a good That's point. A very, very good point. Very, very the good point. story has always confused me. I'm not sure what the sources are on it, it and, but like everybody else, it just seems very odd. And it's the first time I've heard anybody say anything about uh, um, Pat Newcomb's bronchitis, and that's a great, great point. It's a great point. And Pat Newcomb, just for the record, awakes around 12 noon. Is that right, guys? Yeah. That's yeah. right. Okay. Um, and then, and Gary, does Joe DiMaggio Jr. call around 2 o'clock? That's, that's what I yeah, have in the Yeah, he calls around 2 from Camp Pendleton, but um, Murray tells him that Marilyn's not at home, 
And then he calls again around 4.30, and she says the same. And, and do we know why she didn't want to take his calls at that point? Well, it, it coincides with, well, the, at least the 4.30 call coincides possibly within the time range that uh, Ralph Greenson arrived for the home psychotherapy session. Okay. Um, before I get to the 3 o'clock hour, is there anything else, Mary Jane or David, that you want to add as well, or even Gary, in terms of other people calling, coming and going, et cetera, in terms of Marilyn's timeline? Uh, the only other thing I can add is, is uh, Mrs. Murray's car was delivered, and that's when, uh, or you already mentioned that, that, yeah, then she showed the house. So I, I think that's about it. All right. Gary or Mary Jane, anything else? No, no, I think we've covered it up to this point. Okay. All right, so here we are. We're now at 3 o'clock. There is uh, talk about the fact that Robert Kennedy does arrive. It's likely with Peter Lawford around 3 p.m. Mary Jane, you want to jump in with that point? Oh, boy, that's a big one. Um, <laughs> again, it's, it's, like I said earlier, it's possible, but I have yet to see any definitive proof or evidence of it. I, I've okay. yet to see a credible source verify that he was there at all. So, I mean, I don't really like to speculate on the what-ifs, mm-hmm. per se. <laughs> okay. David, why do, we, why do we have that out there floating like we do? And, and what do you uh, say to the 3 o'clock uh, time frame with Robert Kennedy uh, arriving at Marilyn's house? Between three thirty and four o'clock, I can I can see it. With almost everything with this case, it is speculation. You have to pick and choose, determine the sources, see if you trust them. But you also have to use logic. One of the things that was going on in Marion's life is that the president uh, was distancing himself from from people who, who such as Frank Sinatra. And Marilyn Monroe and others. God, I, I how to do this? If you go back in time, the previous weekend had been the Calneva weekend, and most accounts have it that that whole trip, the main reason behind it was to finally convince Marilyn that she could no longer contact the president or any of the family. She couldn't call the White House any longer. Shouldn't be calling the Justice Department. The family needed, the administration needed to completely distance themselves. But the message hadn't gotten through. Um, Pat and uh, Peter Lawford had taken her to the Calneva in Lake Tahoe to go over this and finally convince her. And yet it seems like it didn't, it didn't sink in. And Marilyn was demanding that if, this, you know, if he wants to end this, then he's got to tell me himself. And I think it got down to the point where the Kennedy family had trusted Peter to do this. He had not succeeded. And as kind of like the president's enforcer, Robert Kennedy was going to come down to Los Angeles, meet with Marilyn in person, and convince her that this is it. We can no longer have any contact with you whatsoever. And I believe that was the reason behind his visit. And I do believe the visit took place. All there right. are Two witnesses that do place him in Los Angeles. One is uh, Peter Lawford's neighbor, who did see him in front of the Lawford house, uh, and also one of Marilyn's neighbors, uh, Mrs. Pollard, uh, was having a bridge party that afternoon, and she faces the both 
Cicelina uh, and, uh, God, I forget what the name of the street is. Carmelina. 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 And noticed uh, a car parking on Carmelita, a gentleman getting out of the car and walking up Cicelina, recognized him as the Attorney General and mentioned it to her bridge party guests, and they did see Robert Kennedy alone walking down Cicelina to Maryland's gate. Oh, wow. Um, we have a caller, I think, still on the air. Um, caller, are you still there? I am. All I right. Am. And, and what is your name? Uh, my name is Andrea. Andrea. And where are you calling from? Palm Springs, California. Okay. And what's your question? My question for the panel is, is there any record of any phone calls that Pat Newcomb made while she was at Marilyn's house? Good question. I don't think there's records. I'm not of any aware phone of any. There, there were two phone two phone lines in Marilyn's home, and um, I have seen documentation of the Norman Roston call and the duration of that call. Can we clear up for the record, guys? Because there's there's a lot of speculation out there. Are the phone records missing? Are part of them missing? What phone records of any do we have access to? I'm going to ask Mary Jane that question. I've, I've never seen phone records of that last evening. Um, there's a lot of stories going around that they were confiscated and, and they've disappeared. Um, I've never seen them. I have seen phone records um, of the last uh, month of her life. And while there are, uh, there are eight calls, to the Department of Justice, there are none placed to that number during the last week of her life. Okay. Um, let's do this. We have to uh, take a, a quick break, but I'd like to pick up, and Gary, I'm going to start with you uh, with what uh, David was talking about in regards to Robert Kennedy. Uh, your thoughts on that in terms of him visiting the House, and then let's move into the 5 o'clock hour, Dr. Greenson, and start moving into the evening where it starts to get juicy. So we're taking a break. You're listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio, our panel of experts as we explore the last day of Marilyn Monroe's life. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Mad Genius Radio presents Marilyn. For those of us who can't get enough of Marilyn Monroe, especially her iconic musical performances, Mad Genius Radio has expertly curated a genre of hundreds of tracks performed by Marilyn and friends. It is the quintessential collection of music for a journey of glamour, grace, and allure. Listen for free only on Mad Genius Radio. Available in the App Store, Google Play, and desktop at madgeniusradio.com. Hi, my name is Nina Bosky, and I'm the lead producer on the feature film, Good Night, Marilyn. Do you have what it takes to play the iconic Marilyn Monroe? Well, I have our director here with us, Drew Ann Rosenberg, and she's going to tell you exactly what she's looking for. Drew? Well, first of all, we're looking for somebody with great acting chops, and then we want a Marilyn who can bring that movie star sex symbol 
magnetism to screen. But there's another side of Marilyn that we want to find. We want to find the shy, sensitive, um, very personal and, and twinkly girl who everybody loved on a private level as well. So if you have those two sides to you, you might just be our Marilyn. So if you have what it takes or you know somebody that does, go to goodnightmarilyn.com and find out all the details. That's goodnightmarilyn.com and hopefully we'll see you in the movies. Voice counts. Call toll free 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Night Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, I'm Greg Schreiner from Maryland Remembered. Did you know that Marilyn's only home she ever owned in Brentwood was actually purchased because she fell in love with the style of her psychiatrist home, which was Spanish Hacienda. So when a similar home opened up in Brentwood, she snapped it right up because she knew that she would be just as comfortable in that as she was in the psychiatrist home where she took all of her sessions with him. For Good Night Marilyn Radio and Marilyn Remembered, I'm Greg Schreiner. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Goodnight Maryland Radio. I'm your host, Nina Bosky. With me is Gary Vitaco Robles. I have Mary Jane Gray and David Marshall all discussing the last day of Marilyn Monroe's life. Was Bobby Kennedy really there? Is Pat Newcomb the only surviving person who really knows what happened that night? These are all questions that are still unanswered. There's still holes, as we know, in terms of the timeline. We're going to start to get into some of the specifics. Uh, but I'd like to uh, give you my life bite for the week as well. In the words of Marilyn herself in a rare interview when she was talking about happiness and her need for solitude, she, uh, and I'll see if I can uh, have the ex. ex- next week. She says, I can easily be alone. I don't mind. It's kind of refreshing. There's two things that people want, to be alone and to be together. Like most people, I need solitude. Little did she know at the time how important that statement is. We live in such an action society, do-do all the time. We never take time for reflection in that time out, especially here in the Western world. That's why it's so important to create balance and recharge your energy and your life. Today, if you find that you are not taking enough time for yourself, you may need to incorporate a little bit of Marilyn and take time out to refresh your life. No phones, no Facebook, no TV. Take a break from the world. Be still. There's a great life bike card that I have that says, Be still. My spirit is talking. Just as we spend so much time in our outer world, take some time to explore your inner world. On that note, let's continue the conversation. So, Gary, as we picked up uh, from uh, last break, uh, I want to ask you in regards to what David was adding about Robert Kennedy being there at uh, Marilyn's house. What do you have to say to that? Well, the the um, the source 
before the arrival and the eyewitness neighbor was uh, Robert Slatzer. And he talks about the bridge game, and he talks about Elizabeth Pollard. But I believe at the time he published his book, she was deceased. And so it was her daughter, Betty, who spoke with him. And then a few years later, Eunice Murray refuted that claim and made reference to the fact that this was secondhand information from, from the daughter. And then this is repeated by Donald Wolf, who I believe interviewed um, the, the, the daughter. So I, I, I'm not aware of anyone speaking directly to Elizabeth Pollard, because I think she might have been deceased um, by the early 70s when there was interest in Marilyn's last days. All right. So, so, so right now, whether he is there, he's not there. There's information that says that it suggests that he does. Also, I think uh, it was the mayor at the time talking about that uh, there are sources in the lease and law enforcement that can state that he actually came in. Not sure if that's true or not. Does uh, David? Do you want to speak to that or Mary Jane? Uh, just not not necessarily anything about Yordi or uh, Sad Brown, but. I do want to agree with, with Gary. He does make a uh, valid point that Elizabeth uh, Pollard had passed away by the time uh, this came up, and uh, it's her daughter who was being interviewed. Okay. And then um, we have a caller, April from Utah. Um, are you on the line with us? Is April well, there? Oh, hi, April. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Nina? Uh, nice to have you on the show. Uh, what's your question? Um, it's actually backtracking a little bit. Um, it's about her weekend at the Calneva Lodge. Okay. Um, Nancy Sinatra actually has her dad there from June 29th to July 5th. Can we verify that the weekend at Calneva was the last weekend of July? Panel? Yeah, With Marilyn there. Yeah, it would have been. Like the 27th, 28th. And it coincides with um, Dean Martin performing there and... Um, the, the performance was recorded uh, and, and released as an album, and that that's one of the reasons why it all took why the Lawfords in Maryland visited him there. Okay, huh, I've never heard that. Thank that's you so really much. Cool. All right, April. Thank you for your call. Anybody else want to add to that um, before we move on? Uh, yeah, I was going to say there are um, photographs of Marilyn that weekend with uh, Buddy Greco and Frank Sinatra mm-hmm. and Dean Martin and, uh, not, I'm sorry, uh, Peter Lawford. And by all accounts, they said those photos were taken the weekend of the 27th and the 28th. All right. So let's move on. Speaking of Peter Lawford, 5 p.m., Peter Lawford calls to invite Marilyn to his home for a small dinner party. True, not true? Gary? Um, possibly true, um, uh, especially later with some, um, some of his dinner guests. He did invite several people over that evening, um, uh, the, Joe and Dolores Narr and George Durgum. They were present that evening. Um, so it's, it's very possible that, that he called um, either before the session with Greenson or directly after, and he continued to call throughout the evening. All right. Uh, Mary Jane, anything you want to add to that one? Um, I, I believe the account that Lawford probably called and invited her over earlier in the evening. It seems that he was kind of throwing together a little dinner party, and there's, there's no reason to disbelieve that particular account. Okay. And David, anything to add to that one? Not really. I agree with Mary Ann. Okay. So we're, we all agree. I'm sorry. 
So we all agree that at 5 p.m., uh, most likely, given their relationship, he could have called and invited her to the first time to the dinner party. 5.15, it said that Dr. Greenson arrives and confers with Marilyn in her bedroom. Correct? Correct. Uh, yeah. How about Mary Jane? Well, I was going to say, I have a um, document from 1962. It's the handwritten notes of Sergeant uh, Byron, who investigated the case. And he jotted down the time of Greenson's stay being from 4.30 to 7.10. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that that's completely accurate, that it, he couldn't have arrived at 5.15. It's just another little piece of information that the investigator put 4.30 to 7.10. Got it. And then, uh, Gary, anything you want to add to that, uh, Dr. Greenson arriving? Well, he, he seemed to walk in on whatever tension may or may not have been going on between Marilyn and, and Patricia Newcomb. Now, according to Mrs. Murray, um, when he arrived, um, Greenson instructed Patricia Newcomb to leave and that she sprung up without a word. Um, but I think uh, Fred Lawrence Giles, who interviewed Newcomb, says that um, from her perspective, anyhow, when the request was made, Marilyn looked at her, and she perceived an apology conveyed to Marilyn through her eyes, and uh, she recounts that they agreed to call in the morning. And then there's a later um, uh, statement she makes to the press about plans to see a movie with Marilyn the, fo- the following day, which may or not have been um, a film that Marilyn uh, was going to have screened. I think it's the Lee Thompson some of the Lee Thompson films because uh, she had selected him as uh, the director of her final commitment for Fox. I love Louisa. So so I'm going to bring up something to get the conversation a little bit juicier, and this is whether it's rumor or fact, I want to get this out on the table. Um, so some people say that uh, that Marilyn was upset because Pat Newcomb had gotten so much sleep. Um, some people say that she was upset because if you start to think about this timeline, what? yeah, she was ir- irritated and she was agitated because she didn't sleep, but what happened from the morning to the afternoon that made her that upset that she's calling Dr. Greenson for two two plus hours and talking to him during that day, especially when you have people at your house. There are rumors that she was really upset because if Bobby Kennedy actually came and was there, that she didn't like what was being said. So why do you think Dr. Greenson was there that long the day when specifically so many people were there and um, what was happening during that time? Uh, David, do you want to tackle that one? Yeah, I think one of the things that... uh... I think one of the reasons that Marilyn was upset with Pat Newcomb is beyond being upset because she could sleep and, and Marilyn didn't. Uh, Pat Newcomb had a relationship with the Kennedy family that precedes her relationship with Marilyn. She knew them for quite a long time. Uh, and in, I believe, like the Lawfords, and, uh, Pat Newcomb was trying to convince Marilyn at this point in time the best thing to do would be to completely divorce herself from any relations with the Kennedy family, not only for uh, the president, but for Marilyn's own career. Uh, this could have led to disaster for the administration, but it certainly could have damaged Marilyn personally and professionally. And I think that is more one of the reasons why there was friction between the two. Uh, I also believe that Greenson was called in because Marilyn was upset as a result of uh, the visit by Robert Kennedy, telling her that finally, final, this is it, 
it's a complete separation, and that is something I believe that Pat Newcomb was trying to convince her, as well as Peter Lawford. All right. Uh, Gary, jump in on that one. Um, well, what I can say about uh, Greenson coming on a Saturday is, is when we look at his charges to Maryland's estate and the services he billed from July 1st to August 4th, it's an enormous amount of sessions. He basically saw her Monday through Friday and on frequent occasions saw her on Saturdays. Um, and sometimes he saw her twice in a day, and that typically happened on the weekend. And he even had a stipulation that it was uh, $50 per session, but if he saw her twice in a day, he still only charged her $50. So th- there were multiple uh, Saturday visits. Wow, how times place, have changed. Uh, at his office <laughs> or her home. He made well, home visits as well. I was going to say how times have changed in terms of, uh, you know, what people charge. But uh, Mary Jane, anything you want to add to that before we move on? Yeah, I was going to say, I was kind of going to agree with what Gary said, that um, it's not necessarily terribly unusual for them to have had a long session on a Saturday because she was seeing him so frequently and um, had become so entangled their lives together, which, uh, you know, a lot can argue uh, cross the line of um, ethical boundaries. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, I mean, as far as speculating what she was upset about, I think it could have been any number of things uh, just based on the frequency that she would call Greenson in whenever anything troubled her. Yeah. And so so the key here is between really around, let's just say, between 3 and 5 o'clock, what was really happening to agitate her? Because I can't hear, I didn't hear anything from you guys, from the people that had saw her in the morning, with the exception that she was a little irritated, a little agitated, maybe a little manic, that there was anything to cause this type of um, agitation, with the exception of that this is an ongoing thing that she saw her her doctor on an ongoing basis, on a daily basis. Is that correct? Well, Greenson wrote a letter to Dr. Marianne Chris at the end of August, and he says that Marilyn was annoyed with him. And, and when he didn't wholeheartedly agree with her, she would become very upset with him. And she claimed, uh, well, she said that she was angry with him, and he documents that in the letter to Dr. Chris. And, you know, we know that the doctor overstepped his boundaries and, and was very controlling. He wanted to separate Marilyn from Ralph Roberts and other, other folks that she was close to. So it could be some um, transference issues and countertransference issues <laughs> in their very unique uh, doctor-patient relationship. All right, so so he's there at 6 o'clock or around there at that time. Dr. Greenson requests that Dr. Engelberg give an injection to Dr. Um, to Marilyn, but Dr. Engelberg refuses. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. That's correct. Okay. Um, and Dr. Engelberg goes on record saying that Marilyn is happy. Is that correct? Anybody know that one? Yeah. Um, he, when, when I wrote to him, he told me that he believed that uh, she was beginning a manic stage of her okay. illness. Got it. Um, okay, so we are starting to wind down here in terms of this week's show. We're going to pick it up next week where we start to get into more of the complex confusing, a little bit of, uh, i just say just slightly a few holes in the case. Um, Gary, any last comments? Uh, well, just going back to the, the relationship with Greenson, he was leaving to prepare for dinner with his wife, 
and then later we'll talk about how Marilyn makes yet another phone call to him. So, you know, we, 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 there's a picture also painted that he's very overly involved in his life, in her life, gives her significant amounts of time in therapy, then leaves, and maybe some feelings of, of rejection that Marilyn feels in terms of her relationship with her psychiatrist. All right. Mary Jane, any last comments? Um, I would say my last comments in regards to this and anything having to do with Marilyn is anything you read or hear about it, always, always find the source and see if the source is credible or not, because there's a whole lot out there that's just not credible. All right. And David, last comments before we close for part one of our two-week, our two-part series on the last day of Marilyn Monroe. I want to emphasize what Mary Jane just put out there, and I think that's one of the reasons why both Mary Jane and Gary are so reliable. Anybody who's interested in this case or in any port, uh, uh, portion of Marilyn's life and career, you need to read everything. You need to compare, and you need to look at the sources, see what the author and the sources' uh, agendas were, if there were preconceived notions, and also using logic. All right. All right. Well, panel, wonderful time to start this process. I am so honored to have all three of you as my guests this week as we explored the last day of Marilyn Monroe's life. We will get to part two. We'll pick up around 7 o'clock where it really starts to get juicy, let's just say. On that note, I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Marilyn Radio. And remember... Never stop dreaming. Thank you for joining us for today's show. Good Night Maryland Radio with Nina Bosky can be heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to tune in again next week.